You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show, you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern Way. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. Got a good one for you this week. I was able to catch up with Jeremy Aaron and Daniel Lemon from Do-It-Yourself Hunter. Jeremy and Daniel spend a lot of their fall traveling around the country to new places, and they're consistently successful on big bucks, whether that's in the South or in the Midwest. Wherever it is that they happen to be, it seems like the deer are in trouble. And so I wanted to pick their brains about, man, what makes you guys so stinking successful anywhere you go and there are a couple of things that stand out here in this episode one of them is you know finding something that's familiar to you find what you know and then find places out of state where you can duplicate what you already know find terrain that you're used to topography that you're used to a landscape that is similar to what you know and then go out of state and find the same thing and hopefully get on deer there. Another piece of their success that comes up is that piece of woodsmanship. They've got skills that they have honed at home and that they have taken on the road with them and further sharpened that have allowed them to be successful. So we're gonna get into that and we're also gonna get into uh, just some of their strategy and tactics for being successful no matter where they find themselves. We talk about things like exactly where they want to be. We talk about the number of times that they're going to hunt a given location. We talk about what they're looking for when it comes to finding a piece of public on an out-of-state trip. Wonderful conversation. I've been podcasting now for, gosh, I guess this is year number three, and uh, I've wanted to have these guys on for that entire time. It just hasn't made sense and hasn't worked out, but I thought, hey, now is the time and when i reached out to them i'm glad i did because they said hey it's gonna have to be pretty quick here because we're about to get on the road again for this fall so we're gonna be hard to get a hold of but anyway guys thank you so much for tuning in this week i hope you enjoyed this week's episode all right join me for this week's episode of the podcast we've got mr jeremy aaron and daniel lemon on the line guys what's going on not much not much Getting ready to getting ready to roll out here for a long. I am. Yeah, ain't gonna be too long. It's uh, September twenty first. It looks like when we're yeah. uh, when we're recording this. So it's it's kind of prime time. But we were talking here just a minute ago. It's been it's been tough to get excited so far. I felt like it was just blazing hot until like a week ago, and then yeah. it's finally started to like cool off in the evenings and have some cooler mornings and that kind of thing. But uh, man, last week I had a morning that I could go hunting. My wife was like, yeah, go ahead and go. I, I slept in, man. I didn't even go. 
I didn't bother, <laughs> I didn't even bother getting out. Uh, yeah. See, we had a velvet hunt last weekend. We could hunt Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. And like I said, I had a picture of a couple, three-year-old deer, and I did. I hunted pretty hard Friday. Didn't see hardly nothing. Saturday, I didn't hunt. I hunted the evening. And Sunday evening, I knew it was the last day, and my wife said, you're not going hunting? I'm like, I look at it, there might be a 10% chance I see one of these deer. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not too motivated. Oh, I went, didn't see nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> it just, it, mm. It's a time of year, it's just hard to get on them. Right, right. How has that uh, velvet season been for you guys there in Mississippi? Because I know, you know, folks in Tennessee, man, it, it looks like the Tennessee velvet season is just lights out. There was a few killed. Uh, yeah. we, we didn't have near as many get killed this year as last year. Last year was the first year that they had it. Okay. And, the, uh, I mean, there was deer, seemed like left and right, you know, getting <clears throat> killed. But here this year, I didn't see near as many or hear about near as many. We, we got a Facebook out of our group. Uh, it's called Killed It, like, Killed Killed it Mississippi. Mississippi. There was a, a few showed up on it. Uh, one in Carroll County is pretty big in 160s. So. I didn't see it. Yeah, it popped up. But my wife, she's a school teacher, and there's a guy that's that takes pictures that comes around, takes pictures for a school. He knows her show and stuff, and he always asks when he comes. He said, "Yeah, there was two killed in South Mississippi, one in a 180. The guy didn't buy the twenty dollar permit, and the, the game fish took it from him. Oh <laughs> man! And and he said another guy had killed another big deer, and they they, they caught him over bait. You know, you can you can hunt a certain way over bait, but it can't be on the ground. Yeah, really. And, <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but that's what she said. This guy was saying so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Man, yeah, I, those those southern velvet hunts are pretty intriguing to me. I've always wanted to go kill a velvet whitetail. I mean, I shot a spike in velvet when I was like eighteen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's oh, not yeah. a, not a big deal. But I've always wanted to go up north, go out west. You know, do the whole velvet buck thing. But with these states opening up, you know, Tennessee especially has been intriguing to me because it seems like you can really get on some good deer, and they've got some public ground open to it in their CWD zone. And just looks like it could be a, a fun hunt. But, dude, I, I have a hard time being fired up in middle of August. Yeah, well, <laughs> see, I bought a turkey tag for Tennessee, and I was going to sort of do, you know, buying it a turkey season, I can deer hunt on that same tag. I was wanting to go to that velvet hunt, but that weekend was 100 degrees. I right. Like, I'm, I'm not going 100 degrees because it's right. not worth it. Now, if it'd been cool, I was probably finna go. Because, like you said, them CWD units in the western end of the state, you can go hunt them thing. Any right. weapon. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you, you give me a place where you can get on public land and with a rifle where there's a decent amount of ag in the early seat, man. I, I don't know how there's any bucks left. I'll be honest with you. It, it seems like that should be like picking off flies off of turds. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking the same way. Cause I was sure gonna bring my rifle. I'm, I like to bow hunt, but I thought, man, you sure didn't catch them come out in the bean field or something late, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, man. but I wouldn't. 100 degrees. I didn't. It wasn't interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, well, I I do need to hear a little bit about your uh, your your early season wasp hunting. <laughs> I was bored, <laughs> and I and I I sprayed the house. This you know early in the summer and man them thing I don't know if they started hatching out they just come everywhere and I like I told my wife I, I went out there finished shooting I like grab the camera I think it's gonna be interesting <laughs> and she's like okay <laughs> yeah it, that was good man I was I was reading through the comments and stuff and people seem to people seem to really latch onto that but they're they're not that hard to hit when you get them in the open where you can see them you know you get them because what they're doing is coming out and then it's taking off and having to go over the trees. Man, I could get them where I could see them, man. I'm tearing their tail up that 20 gauge. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was waiting for you to shoot the house, man. <laughs> no, I had to let them get above it. That's there the only place go. I could shoot there. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, bef- before we get too far into the episode, I, if people are listening to this podcast, they know who y'all are already. But why don't you just give us a quick intro in case somebody's been, you know, living under a rock for a while. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us about Do It Yourself Hunter. <clears throat> well, I'm Jeremy Aaron. I started this thing. Crap! Over twenty years ago, I, it was I had a show on the Outdoor Channel in two thousand and three for two quarters, and the same concept: do it self hunter, uh, hunt public land. Uh, some of our old shows I put on that I had on Outdoor Channel is something you can go back on our our channel there, and, and you can see an elk show, a bear show, a Montana show. You know, it was filmed in two thousand and one or two. Uh, so I've been doing it a long time. Had three girls, little girls at the house. 
my wife come down with thyroid cancer, and I just had, had to quit what I was doing. Right. Then Daniel, I knew Daniel's dad. We used to hunt. He hunted with me back then. Oh, and like I said, sort of the girls got out of the house and got out of school and got on their own. And I was like, I'm going to start this thing back. And I've been filming off and on ever since then. And Daniel, what, it's been five years you've been helping me film? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going into it's going, it'd be Yeah, it'd be five years, yeah. yeah we, like I said, we've been on the YouTube three years. But I had some of my old shows was, was I'd filmed several years ago. Oh, so that was our concept. And like I said, Daniel was, you know, he, he was a little amazed what I looked like. Yeah. I, that's what he reminded me of, you know, me when I was that age. And I sort of took him on my wing and said, hey, you got the ability to do this. You want it because, like I said, he knows how to read sign. He's sharp picking up stuff. Oh. What's your side of it? <laughs> he got me into it, got me into this filming. I, I was never – I was never a out-of-state hunter, I guess you could say. I always hunted around home. You know, I always wanted to go somewhere, but, you know, never really had the, what would you say, incentive to want to. And then he, he got he got me going to Arkansas, killed a big deer over there, uh, 2018, I think it was. Were you 16 years old? 17. He's 17, killed a 150-inch deer on Ooh. public land. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so the next year, twenty twenty nineteen, we started filming, and then I guess pretty much you, you can kind of watch how it's grew since then, right? Uh, as far as far as how all that went, but yeah, that was uh that that's kind of how I got into it, as far as the traveling goes and stuff. Right. I, some <clears throat> some days, I'm sure you you said he got you into it. I'm sure some days it's like. You know, he got you into this, like, this is awesome. And then other days, it's like blaming him. Like, man, this is your fault. I'm doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, one thing I really got him in last year is traveling by yourself. I love, mm. you know, when we done it years ago, we traveled, you know, we filmed each other. Yeah. But how these cameras have got a lot smaller than they used to be, oh, man, I love to self-film. I, I love to hit the road and car camp and have a plan A, B, and C. If you tag out in A, man, go to the next state. And just, I just think you're way more productive like that instead right. of going with a group. I know a lot of guys like going with a group and camaraderie and stuff like that. Uh, I think, however, and I've got Daniel thinking that way too. <clears throat> you go and you you give it a hundred percent, you can kill deer in any state. Right. Yeah, it's not easy, but you just grind and and uh, and like I said. Why I got him started going out of state, because when I was 16, my dad took me to Colorado. And that would be 40 years ago this fall. And I got to go to Montana with, with his uh, his best friend when I was 19 and 20. So I had somebody to care of me and do that. A lot of folks don't have nobody to ever get them started. Right. But what we learned, if you ever start traveling, you're, it's addicting. Oh, You're oh, yeah. planning for next year when you get home. Yep. Uh, and and, and why I want to do that, because I see how hunting has changed so much over the last 20, 20 years, especially 10 years, especially. Oh, uh, well, I look at a lot of this federal land, man, these city folks have got some say so over it. We may not think so. Federal ground, they outnumbers them in the vote wise. And I, I want to get as many people involved in hunting public land to, to help protect this for our kids and grandkids. Yeah. Right. Right. Man, there's, there's been a, I don't know, some backlash, I guess. So you guys, y'all were filming stuff on public land before it was cool. Uh, oh, yeah. Then it got cool a couple years ago. A lot of folks started doing it. Now you're seeing some of the backlash where people are complaining about, oh, so and so went to this state and ruined it. These guys went to this state and ruined it. Give me, give me your thoughts on that, man. Because I, I, I'm not at all torn on the issue. Like I, I hate hearing people who start blasting that because it's like, if you just get you know back in there a little bit, you can get by yourself. It's not like well, the places that, are just that, overrun. like you said. That that that, that comment gets under my skin right quick because I look at it. I welcome folks to come hunt. Last two mornings, I've walked public land here. Because here's the way I look at it when you go out of state. A local that lives there, and he's got a core area, he knows that sucker better than anybody coming from out of state. Mm-hmm. Why is he worried about, you know, like I said, competition makes you a better hunter. Uh, them guys, they've, they've had it to themselves, and they don't want no, no competition. Man, competition makes you a better hunter. I strive on it. Uh, actually, that's how I hunt a lot of public places. If there's a crowd there, I hunt it different from places that I hunt that there's nobody there. I really get in pinch points and stuff and let them work for me when, I, when I'm when i hunting around crowds. Right. Uh, you know, you just got to figure it out, you know. 
Right. <clears throat> and when it's like I said, when it's public land, everybody's got the same opportunity. It, it's not yours. If, if, if you if you're sitting there saying that, hey, go buy you a piece of property, pay the taxes on it, go pay the note on that son of a gun, and then you can say that. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yep. when it's when it's public, we all on it. If you're an American citizen, well, look at it. You got just as much right to hunt as I do. That's right, man. Something you said there, competition makes you a better hunter. And I think this is revealing a lot of guys who hunt on public land. They found their spot. They're kind of keyed into their area. They don't necessarily want to get better. They want to have their spot that produces consistently and is an easy hunt for them. They don't want to become a better hunter. And in my mind, it's like, man, as, as soon as you stop growing, like what, what's the pursuit even for at this point? That's right. That's the way I look at it, too. Because, mm-hmm. oh, like I said, it's a learning process, and that's what's so fun about it. You know, and like they always say, when you get your tail kicked and you lose, that's where you learn things. Right. You, you, like, well, you learn from your mistakes. You're like, man, what did I do wrong? You know, and that's one thing I really liked about Daniel when he first started, I first started hunting with him and when he killed that big deer. He's like, why did that deer do that? You know, why did that deer come that way that day? Oh, it's get in his head and try figuring out why he done that. Or a lot of guys killed a big deer. They're like, oh man, I killed a big deer, and they ain't got a clue how they killed it or, or what happened. So, yeah, man, I, I, that's one of those questions that I feel like for most hunt, like that could take so many people to to their next level, whatever that is, like whatever your skill level is right now. Learning to ask why, you know, when you when you kill something, when you have success, or when you don't have success, asking why not or why did it work, man, I, I think that's huge. Do you guys have, I don't know, I don't want to say how do you learn how to ask why, but is there anything that you've done or learned throughout the years that has helped you like in your process of that asking why and helped you pick apart your successes and failures in such a way that, you know, folks can pick up on? Because I've, I've noticed it seems like there's a, there's a crowd of people who, like Daniel, say why, 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 and they're never going to be satisfied until they figure it out. And then there's another group of people, it's like they can't, they just can't figure out how to ask why. You know, they, they can't see past their nose to say, okay, why did that happen? So anything that y'all have picked up or anything that has helped you, you know, in your pursuit of asking why? I guess the way I look at it, I've always been self-employed. I took risks in business, and it's paid off. You know, we always looked at business was there's no risk, to, there's no rewards. Hunt's right. the same way. You know, if there's not any risks, uh, and then like I said, the, the why I try figuring things out is – when you get your butt kicked so many times, you're like, man, 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 why, why, why is this not working? Mm. And then when it does work, you're like, okay, let's put a front come through. The move time was right. Uh, you know, like I said, when we travel and hunt, we love going different places. And a lot of times we talk at night and just what you see, what time of the day you see it. Mm. How did that time with the moon phase, uh, front coming through? You know, one thing this summer – like I said, I love talking to different guys that's very successful in their areas. They skill them a deer or deer. They kill them teetotally different from the way we do. Right. So we're basically rut hunters. We chase the rut. You know, we, we like jumping around in the country because you can pretty much chase it for about two and a half months by jumping around and chase a rut. Well, we chasing bucks up and moving through travel corridors or community scrape areas and stuff like that. A lot of these guys earlier are killing them on buck beds. They're killing them on feed trees. And that's teetotal different than we ever hunted. And that's, I've, I guess I've, I look at the why and how they're doing it like that. And it intrigued me. And I want to learn. Right. And listening, and listening to them. Because the way I look at it, man, you can learn something from somebody else a lot easier than trial and error. Mm-hmm. So I'm always ears and open. And I've heard Daniel make that comment before. I like to learn a little bit here. I like to learn a little bit here and a little bit over there. And you start putting all that together. And try figuring out that why. Right, right. Daniel, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, I mean, obviously, you've probably learned a lot from Jeremy over the years. Um, but I think, too, with your ability to ask why and your own thought process and your experiences and what you've learned separate from him, how, what do you think are maybe some of the biggest differences in the way that you approach things to the way that Jeremy does? Because I, I know that that's developed. I know you guys don't have an identical style. So tell me maybe how some of how some of that has come about as far as your differences? Well, as far as how we look at stuff different, you know, there's there's areas he's told me like to go to and hunt 
like last year in Kansas. Place he went, he said, here's a pen right here. Last time I was there, I killed a deer. First morning, got up, I went there, got in that spot. I said, I don't like it. Hmm. I mean, he killed a deer. He, I mean, good spot. I know what you and Larry both killed deer in that area before. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's a good spot. When I was there, I was like, to me, this ain't what I want to find. So that's when I put boots on the ground again, went and found another spot, probably a mile or two miles away, ended up killing that the big brow tine buck. Uh and why the reason why I always asked why as far as when I was hunting and if I killed a big deer, I asked I asked that why reason is because a deer they're they're living, they're they're fighting everything to stay alive out there in the woods. You might not think of it, but they're using every the wind, everything to their advantage to live. And so you gotta figure out what little corner that they're cutting or whatever to get you in that opportunity for them to mess up just a little bit to have that opportunity at them. So that's the reason I've always looked at that why factor when I was hunting and when I, when I seen a, or killed a big deer, seen a big deer, why he'd done that. Um, and how can I get in there and capitalize on that situation that he was there at that time? Right. Right. Guys, one thing that's, I I think stands out about y'all, um, is the fact that you, um, obviously have success in the South, but you go all over the place and you have success pretty much everywhere you go. And I, I think a lot of that, of that can be attributed to that question of why. But a lot of it, too, is just simple woodsmanship skills that, that folks these days maybe, um, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but there are certainly a lot of crutches that we can lean on these days. And they're fun crutches. They're things like cell cameras. I love cell cameras. Love them. But, but I can find myself chasing pictures or, <laughs> you know, making mistakes because of cameras. Or, you know, I can rely on my, my mapping software too much and I can get into somewhere and I'm like, this isn't what it looked like on the map. You know, this, is, this isn't what I, what I thought was, it was going to be like. So talk to me a little bit about some of those woodsmanship skills that have uh, translated, I guess, from the South to the Midwest, the West, wherever it is that you guys find yourself that you're like, hey, this is consistent. Like bucks act in this way. Like one of the things I say a lot is deer do deer things. What are some of those consistencies in woodsmanship and deer behavior that, you know, you're taking with you from Mississippi to wherever you go? Go ahead. I'm thinking. (laughs) Well, here, I always say hunt what you know. You know, I love hunting river bottoms. I love hunting water. So when I go out of state, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the same, uh, like you said, and your woodsman, it's a lot of, a lot of pay attention to the wind, uh, we pay a lot of attention to the moon phase, y'all. The moon phase, a lot of folks say, oh, there's no no evidence that, you know, they've tracked these deer and stuff, and it, there's, you know, I basically say, you keep thinking that, I hunt the way I hunt, because we've, we've proved, you know, I've learned, it's not 100% exact, but you get a front that comes through, and you're hunting a rut, you better be hunting in move times, that major and minor. Right, right. Uh, but another thing on woodsmanship is knowing the woods, knowing species of trees. A lot of it is knowing, especially on these river bottoms, it, it don't take but a foot elevation change in a river bottom and you change species of trees. Right. Uh, from mass trees to, you know, acorn trees to, you know, you get a little lower, you get in the softwood and stuff like that. You know, that's my thought. What's your? Well, like you said about hunting what you know, I'm more of the, rolling hills type of guy he likes his river bottoms i'll hunt them around here a little bit with a gun uh, but i'm more of the rolling hills type if i can find that uh, but like he said the the move time i think that's something we've seen consistent everywhere we've been mm. as far as as far as hunting um and i know what was it some research lab done that test and they showed about how far deer traveled during those move times and the way we look at it's different the way their studies are putting it up i feel like they were showing you know they had these different bucks collared and they were showing how far they was moving during a time frame but we're not really looking how far they're moving 
is what time they're getting up and moving. Mm. Like they were showing early season, you know, the deer really never left a, what, 200-yard radius. But the times he was doing it was different. Right. But the times he would get up and really travel, it was during that rut, and that's why we like hunting at ruts because they're traveling. They're way outside their home range. Right. They're way they're out. They're outside of what they know is, you know, <clears throat> it's where they mess up. Right. And what we've really learned on the backside of that rut, sort of mm-hmm. toward the end, is when them big ones really get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. You, you look anywhere, and ask any big hunters, and I can ask them in any part of this country. I got a buddy in Illinois. I got one in Indiana. They's like, yeah, we kill them toward Thanksgiving, you know, mm. in Illinois. And a lot of guys won't go that first week or so. And there are a few killed early. But they say them sure enough big ones is late. Right. A lot of times later. Right, oh. right. Let, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of a big picture kind of thing. Because you guys do a lot of out-of-state hunting, obviously. Um, I think part of what holds people back from doing that is that fear that I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get my butt kicked. I'm going to come home with my tail tucked, empty-handed, spent the money on the tag, spent the money on the gas, and and now I'm out. And I, I and I got nothing out of it. They're not counting the the knowledge that they gained and the experience that they had, that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think a, a big piece of that is feeling like where they're going is unfamiliar or feeling like, you know, to Wisconsin, for instance. Right now I live 15 hours from Wisconsin. If I had never been to Wisconsin before, that would be an intimidating drive right like that's going to take me a long time to get there um what are some of the things you guys are doing to make sure that once you get on the ground you're at least in the kind of area that you want to i know e-scouting is probably a big part of that so maybe what goes into picking the properties that you do or you know maybe the general areas where you you feel like all right i'm going to get in there and this terrain is going to be terrain that i know or these properties are going to hold the caliber of deer that i want because of x y and z that i can see on the map well, like I said, uh, a lot of it's confidence after you do it in a state or two. You're like, well, I can go to any state. Uh, especially, if I say, any southern guy that can kill a three-, four-, five-year-old deer consistently every year in the south can go anywhere anywhere else and do it. Right. Uh, yep. You know, I, I tell these northern guys, I want you all to come on down to the south. I rush after you all. I welcome you all to come on down here and hunt. Now, they're not going to be as big. But the, you get a three or four year old deer in the south. I promise you, he's way smarter than one in the north. Oh. He's, he's going to act way different. Yeah. He will jump the string on you. You will think. <laughs> but that's just one thing. Is uh, when I'm going out of state, is I look for, like I said, water, WMAs or core engineer. Uh, like I said, Daniel, he looks for hills and stuff like that. Oh, hills. Yeah. But I, but I do like to challenge myself every once in a while. Like I told you before we got talking, I went to Wisconsin three different times last year. I went to, and I was hunting hill country uh, off the rivers there. And it was a little different, but I wanted to learn it. I, you know, I'm like, I'm smart enough. I can figure this out. You know, you know and I got my tail kicked a couple different times, but I, I'm pretty confident I can go back up there. Because I'd have got in a rut hunting one spot. I had a picture of a deer I missed in the year before, and I and I, I left a camera there all year, and he come back through there. I'm like, I can kill this deer in this spot. Well, you ain't got so much time when you're there. Yep. And, 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 you know, you know, if I lived there, I ain't no doubt I could have killed him. Uh, right. but, but just being there a shorter period of time. And, see, we hunt a lot different from a local guy. A local guy knows his area. He tries staying sort of on the boundaries, not getting there and blow him out. We don't do that when we travel. We're not after a certain deer. We're just after a mature deer, and we know we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to bust in there and find the best sign we can find. You know, you see a lot of these guys that bump and dump. Uh, a lot of times you get up in that open country out west or north, you can see them, and a lot of times he's going to come back in there. Uh, so a lot of times they want to lay eyes on him. So that's that's another style of hunting. Yeah, yeah. yeah down here in the south, you bump him, he not be, may not be back there for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like his, his velvet hunt. I had a picture of two three-year-old deer. He was in a 40-acre block, and I knew he was there. Hunted them three days, never did see him. Mm. See, that's the difference between up north where there's 80% of it's wide open and 20% covered. We're right backers down here. We're 80% covered and 20% fields. <laughs> right, right. That's something I think that un- until you experience it in another state, you can't really, you can't really grasp the visibility of, of game in different places. We're talking deer, we're talking turkeys, whatever it is, just to be able to go up somewhere and either drive the roads or sit in observation sit 
and get really good intel and be able to move in if you want to after that or being able to see a buck, you know, 250 yards off, you know, cutting a corner of a field or something. That's huge intel. That's really tough to get in Mississippi. In the south. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, in the south, Alabama, Georgia, yeah, in the, yeah. in the south, Louisiana. Uh, and most time, uh, well, we've hunted Illinois and different places, and these southern boys will be up there hunting. The southern boys, I'll I put them against any of the Midwest. The Midwest guys kill bigger deer because they got bigger deer. And they live there. And they live there. And they live there <laughs> where they are. Yep. But yep. a southern boy can go up there and do a pretty good job on them mature deer up there. <laughs> yeah. You you go up and you pass a parking lot in Illinois and you see a Alabama license plate, you might as well just keep on. You know, <laughs> you know he's you know he's getting in there and disrupting a few things. Uh and, and that's one thing I have learned in hunting some places is according to what type hunters are there. Because you get all good hunters, they all th- sort of think the same thing. It's they trying to look for that farthest corner, the hardest place to get. Mm-hmm. Well, you get back there, and then two or three other guys come in there, only. So you gotta you gotta know where you at and what a your hunting competition is is there. Yeah. Now, like Wisconsin, when I hunted last year, or I've hunted last two years. I hadn't seen an out of state tag there. Now I've seen some guys from Milwaukee, you know, from the east side in bigger cities come, but I hadn't seen a another out of state state you know hunting there. Right. If you go back this year, you might see a Georgia tag. Okay. You're gonna be, I, I'm hoping I'm not going this year. That's what Daniel said. Stay out of Wisconsin this year. I told him, I said, you better not go back to there. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Man, I, I'll tell you, after living there for a couple of years, I, I, won't miss, I won't miss a rut hunt in Wisconsin. Unless I, unless I have an Iowa tag or something like that, I'm going to be in Wisconsin every year. And I don't want to blow it what up. What dates are you people. saying the best? What's, what are you saying? Your... So for – I break that down different. So public land guys and private land guys, I feel like have different chances around the rut for your private land guys. That last seven days of, of October are prime. And I feel like that's because they, they have that private property. The deer that have been pressured on the public have moved over to the private. They're able to keep tabs on these deer. They're able to watch them sit back, wait till they start hitting scrapes in daylight. And then boom, they move in on their hundred acres and they go kill them. Right. It seems like the rutting activity, the scrape activity, just daylight activity in general of bucks really starts to pick up on public land that second week of November. Uh, that second week all the way up until, you know, day before gun season starts, which is usually around 18th, 19th, that is when I see the, the biggest deer, um, you know, the, the, okay. the best quality deer. Now, you may not see as many deer. You're not going to see young bucks chasing at that time. You're not going to see the same kind of just crazy activity that you would have seen November 1st through 7th. But if you're up there on the 14th, 15th, 16th, you got a pretty good chance of seeing a good one or, you know, a couple good bucks in a morning. Uh, that's be that's uh, sort of what we say on the backside of the rut, sort of the, the, the tail end of it. Right, and right. Up on their feet, yeah. Yep. The, well, we, well, a little bit we hunted, we've seen the last few days of October, like I said, really start seeing a lot of scrape activity, seeing bucks really moving, roaming. Right. Uh, and a couple guys we talked to, that's what they sort of said. Uh, October the 30th, 30th to about the 3rd yeah. or 4th of November was the week they took off. Right, yeah. right. And that, that, that hill country stuff is a little bit different than where I'm hunting in the – I'm still in the southern farmland zone, but I wasn't quite out west uh, yeah. in the southwest corner or anything. So before you get out to that, it seems like it's a little bit later around where I was, more towards that, you know, okay. that okay. – uh, what do you call it? Milwaukee area. But, uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about when you guys get on the ground, right? Like you've, you've looked at your maps, you've found a spot, we got water, you know, we got a river bottom that I like to hunt. Daniel, maybe you got your rolling Hills. You got what you're looking for on the ground. When you get there, assuming you haven't been there before, what's step number one for y'all? Are you jumping right in, going to make a sit or are you going to sit back, do a little bit of scouting boots on the ground, tear it up first? Oh, I'm putting boots on the ground. I'm, I'm rolling. Cause I, when I get somewhere, I look for three spots. I, I factor out all the ground I looked at, all the sign I find to three main spots. And I got my spot. Number one is where I feel, you know, it's got the most sign that I'm confident in as far as there being a mature deer there. And confident in the wind. Most of the time, it's a north or west wind because I know it's probably going to be cold when you get that kind of wind. So I'm I'm looking for a spot like that. That's going to be my number one. 
And I have the number two and number three spots for different wins besides that in case, you know, like Kansas last year. Found that spot, had three spots. I needed a north, northwest wind to hunt it. But I wasn't going to get it till the next day. Or it may have been two days. So I had like southeast winds up until a front was going to move in the day I killed that deer. And so I hunted my second and third spot because of that south southerly wind still good spots found good sign didn't feel as confident as i did that one spot but i knew with that north wind i was gonna have a good wind for me it was gonna be a good wind for him it was gonna be kind of cutting that corner i'd found the sign i wanted and i just kind of had to sit and wait on that to hit and when it did i got in there that day and that's when I ended up, wasn't in there like an hour and a half or something, ended up killing that deer. But I I like looking for my three, my three spots with different winds, just so I'm maximizing my time in the tree as much as I can. It may not be in the spot that I want to be in, but I'm always in the tree in good areas that I feel confident I could see something to get a shot at. Right, right. When, when you're saying spots, are you meaning – General areas, or are you saying, man, I got three trees that I've got? Trees, 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 yeah. Okay. Trees. Where he wants to climb, yeah, yeah. Where you want? That's what say. I say a guy that's that's never been somewhere. You cyber scout. You basically get on your out hunt stand on X and find something that looks good to you. And it's you look at your local area and you, you sort of see what you're looking for. It's pinch points. Uh, uh, you know, food cover. Uh, you know, you, you can you can do a lot of cyber scouting. A lot, and you may have your three or four waypoints you mark and say, hey, this looks good. Well, like he's talking about, you put boots on the ground when you get there and you go look at them spots. You know, you, you may be found a spot here on the mouth that looks good. Well, you go to it and after you get there, you're like, hmm, that may not, that don't look quite as good as, but that's your starting spot. Mm, that's your starting yeah. point. You know, that's what I tell the guys. So many people ask me like, man, I, I just don't know where to start. i like, you got to start somewhere. You, you just find your spot, find your place and, and go there. And then do this, what you would do if you was just hunting a county over from where you lived at, some place you've never been, you just start scouting. You just start looking for, you know, I like finding that big community scrape. I love finding a big old, big scrape that's pulled out like a car hood. You know, a lot of guys say, oh, you can't kill them on a scrape. I, I hunt more when they're going, I know when they're going to be up on their feet moving. Uh, like we said, I have them three factors, the moon, the weather, and the rut. And when I get all three of them, I ain't got to be in his bed because I know he's probably going to be up and move a half mile or a mile that day. You know, right. he's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what we, it's like he's talking about. He's, he's killed several big ones the day the front comes in, right as soon as that weather turns around. Yeah. Most time I have better luck that second, third day. Still cold weather, still got north wind. Because uh, it seemed like my experience, they don't room, move as far right when that front comes through. Because most time you get up in that north midwest, you got a lot of wind. I mean, that, that wind's usually blowing and blowing, and it just seemed like they hold to the cover. And like his deer, he he didn't think he got up. And he, he didn't. Oh, he had just got up. I was probably within 200 yards from where he was bedding. And I think, like me and him talked about a lot, is the day of or at that very moment that the front's hitting, if you are within that 200, 300-yard radius of that deer, then I think no doubt it's probably your – when you're going to kill him i don't think i don't think you're going to kill him no half mile from where he's bed on the day of the front coming in because we we've both caught him up two or three days after on the back side of that front when it's kind of pushed out and it's say that beautiful clear bluebird, bluebird morning high cold. Pressure, get the high pressure comeback seem like that that yep. 30 point one or two yep. right in there oh that's it you let clears off behind it uh, they're feeding and they're they're roaming too, looking for does. Yeah, uh, that's that's some factors we we've seen this work for us. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit on on that community scrape front because I've heard that a lot too. Folks saying, "Oh, you can't kill them on a scrape," uh, especially not during the rut, right? Like that's the big thing. Like, oh, if you're if you're getting in that November, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, they're they're leaving the scrapes alone. They're on to find the does. But I just, my cameras don't tell me that story, and the deer I killed. <laughs> last year man i i so i shot him two different days i shot him the first day right after he'd worked a scrape i caught back up to him five days later and was able to finish him off because uh, i just wounded him a few days before again right there in the proximity of scrapes so 
I'm not saying that you're going to shoot one with his nose down in the scrape, but it seems like those scrapes are in high traffic areas for a reason. He's going to be yeah. around there. He may not go check it and work it, but he's going to be in that area. What are you guys that's saying? That's right. That's, that's what I think. It's oh, a music yeah. scrape, and it's not right. just one buck. A lot of times right. bucks in that area are going to come, and like I said, they may wind check it. They may not come up there and paw it, paw it out or do the licking branch. But like I said, they're going to be in that area. Yeah. And that's, that's how we usually – that's our style of hunting. Is 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 find pinch points or vantage points. Uh, Daniel can shoot a lot better than me, so he usually backs off where he can shoot a little further because he can cover more ground. I usually find water or something that's got a natural barrier or something. I know they can't come in one place and and sort of pinch them in, try to tighten them up. Uh, you just gotta find your niche. Right. That's the way I look at it. And I, I encourage guys to say, just if you if you can kill mature deer in your area, build off of that. Right. And, like, and you made a comment a while ago, guys, they look at, man, I'm going to spend this much money for a tag, and I'm going to come home with my tail tucked between my legs. Yo, if you've never, you know, I, I got a couple guys, that are folks I know around here locals never hardly been out of this county, and they think this is how everything is. Man, get out and see this country. There's good mm-hmm. folks in rural America everywhere. It's just like yep. you. Uh, you, you, and the sights you see. That's what I tell people. Cause now, like I said, me and my wife, we love to travel. We've been in all fifty states. Uh, we we probably spent. We went to Wyoming a couple of weeks ago, antelope hunting, and we spent ten days this summer just out west, car camping, just riding and seeing the country. You know, that's one thing I say, y'all. Get out and see this country. You know, it, it is, whichever way you want to go. Yep. You know. Right. And, and, and I always basically say, too, is like when you go the very first time, it's just about like when you enter the first grade. You walk in them doors, and you ain't got a clue what you're finna see or finna learn. But when you walk out in the 12th grade, look how much knowledge you've learned over them 12 years. I basically tell guys, man, go hunt a place. Don't don't get stuck in a rut and keep going to the same place. Go hunt another place the next year. Mm-hmm. Go hunt another place the next year. Over four or five years, the knowledge you build off all of that, you've got confidence you can go anywhere then. Right, oh, right. Well, and, that, and are you, and you going to kill something every time you go? No. no. <laughs> Maybe 50% of the time. But how we go, as much as we go, I say 50% of the time. But, but we know that pretty much. We know when it's that when them three factors, when they hit, you know, there's like two or three weeks right there, first November, and then we got a spell in December, and then and here at home, we got a spell right at the end of December. Them three weeks... Yeah, we can kill a deer if we're in the right spot. Yep. Right. And you can be you can be off on that right spot by hair. <laughs> like a tree over ten yards, five yards, and you can do that a lot. Right. Man, that's, that, that can be so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a learning process. That goes back to that why why did he go over there instead of here? Yeah. You know, you gotta start saying, get thinking. You know, and a lot of it's luck. I'm not gonna sit there and say, you know. Because I got a philosophy, I'm going to put out a show here probably in the next couple of weeks, so I killed a buck last year. But I've done this so many times. I look at it like, you know, you, you look at, say, a drunk driver. He's putting himself in a lot of risk by drinking and driving. Eventually, something's going to happen. I use a reverse psychology. When bucks are moving, deer in a rut, and I'm in an area I don't really know where I'm, at, where I'm at, I like to just hit the ground and put myself in that high risk that something's going to happen. Not thinking I got everything figured out. I'm just, I'm going I'm to... Stumble into an area and boom, he's gonna come walking right to me and say, "Shoot me," because mm. it will happen. You put yourself out there in the right situation enough. Right, right, and I think too, like you know, going back to that example that I gave earlier of the guy coming home with his you know tail tucked between his legs, he spent all that money. My question is, man, what what is education worth? Like, what, right. what's an education worth? Because <laughs> the amount of think about this, I, I not as much now that I'm producing podcasts and stuff because. Uh, man, I, I feel like I live in content land and I'm sure you guys feel the same way producing videos and everything. So you probably don't watch as many hunting videos as you used to, but think about the average guy, you know, watching hunting content, listening to hunting content, reading hunting content, how much time and effort he puts into trying to learn stuff. And it's like, you can learn a year's worth of stuff. If you'll take five days and go spend it in a place that you don't know and be determined that while you're there, you're going to figure it out and don't settle. You know, let your let yourself get your butt whipped a couple times. You will learn more in five days than you can in a year 
listening to podcasts. Now, listen, guys, don't stop listening to podcasts. <laughs> Uh, and don't and don't, don't stop do watching this videos. Is, is, you know, keep doing that. Watching, yeah, don't stop watching videos. Right, that's right, right. That's what you do mainly in the off season when you're at home at night and stuff like that. When it's not, you know, not prime time. Right, that's right. E- exactly. But when it's prime time, man, just get out there. May, and I feel like too. You know, a lot of guys are just so afraid of making that mistake, man. Well, life's all about mistake. When we used to do them show twenty years ago, when we was going out west and doing stuff, folks would come through and they're like, "Man, I want to do that. I- I'd love to do that." And I'm like. You just gotta make time. You gotta if you want to do it bad enough, you do it. You're sitting there saying you want to do it. You don't want to do it bad enough. You know that, that's what I tell guys. I like if 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 you want to do something bad enough, and y'all don't understand now. When we went to Wyoming a couple of weeks ago, see I done that 20 years ago. Man, we used to have to have BLM maps, big national forest maps, and because basically we're just hunting state sections scattered around. Nowadays, you got Onyx, and, man, you can pull a map up, and it shows exactly where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, the old days, man, you had to really pay attention where you was at by looking at fences and, <laughs> and you know, it goes back to that woodsmanship. You had to know where you was at. Nowadays, man, the technology, man, all the, the – look, the knowledge is right there in, in your phone you can sit there and look at. Right. These young guys don't have a clue what how we started out and what we learned. Yeah. You know, you, I, done, I, done, I done a show last year that I run across an old phone booth. And I basically said, how many of y'all have ever called home on a payphone? Mm. I can remember when I first started hunting, I made sure I had a pocket full of quarters where I called my wife <laughs> where I could call home. Yep. <laughs> yep. I remember going to the uh, going to the camp, and we had a there was a gas station up the road that had a payphone. We always made sure we had them little cards with some money uh-huh. loaded on them. You know, so we'd dial <laughs> in on them little cards to make sure we could, you know, we could call home. And f- man, folks hadn't lived, and I'm sure Mississippi's the same way. Folks hadn't lived until you get out on a big WMA in Alabama and you're relying only on the WMA map. You know, that's, that's right. That's all you got. It's like that thing doesn't even have all the roads on it. Like, good luck. Like, you yeah. know, they, they put on there about half of what's actually out there. So, you know. Well, well, another thing I would say is hunting river bottoms. I remember going to the White River 25 years ago and all you had was a compass. Mm. You don't understand what a big river bottom looks like when it gets dark. And you walking, going a direction – and you run into water, mm. and it's dark. <laughs> you, you you pay a lot of attention to to those. Your woodsmanship gets pretty sharp then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of necessity. That's right. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's uh let's maybe shift gears just a little bit here. Let let's let's talk coming back home. Right, we're you're you're hunting your local spots, or you know you're right there in Mississippi. How does your hunting style differ? there and you know what are you doing to get yourself on bucks there because i it, it's so much different when you're in an area with a high concentration of, of high caliber bucks i mean even even a place like wisconsin that gets hammered for for the gun season the age structure there is just way different but when you're here in the deep south you know things are things are just different so what are you doing different at home it- most of the time, by the time we get home, we're done traveling. It's getting close to our rut. So mid-December to Christmas is when we're usually slowing down from the traveling. But then again, certain parts of Mississippi, rut's kicking up, starting around Thanksgiving, 1st of December. So we can move around just in the state right. and hunt. And we'll do that a lot. But a lot of it, we're, we're gun hunting. We start the gun hunting because as soon as our gun season opens, which is always the Friday for Thanksgiving, it runs until the end of January. So you got a big gun pressure. A lot of people hunting with guns. You get your dog running uh, in certain areas, a lot heavier than others. But we'll move around with the rut. We'll kind of we'll hit the more of the, the delta ground stuff, uh, which is going to be that first to middle december and then we'll hit right here around home which is when it it's usually christmas till i mean it'll trickle on through end of end of january first of february depending right. on the the does too but uh what i'm doing is i'm on the ground looking a lot with a gun i, I like slip hunting uh until i find them right areas and year after year i found that around here Year after year, you can get in an area that's good, but like some places up in the Midwest, you can find a tree that's good year after year. Mm. I haven't found that down here. 
I found places that an area is good, but they may shift around in that area a little bit. Right. So I, I always try to go and find and see what they're doing, what they've changed up year after year. Um, and then if it's a good spot, I might try to bow hunt it. If I feel like I'm in the right spot, I can bow hunt it. Or I'll get in there if it's more suitable to gun hunt with the wind or whatever, I'll gun hunt it. So it's just a mix of stuff. I may gun hunt for five days and then bow hunt a little bit and then go to a completely different area. So I, I'm never really consistent around here. I'm just trying to get out as much as I can and hopefully run into something. Because we have a we have a lesser mature buck density in the south. <laughs> so you can't you, you don't go set in a tree down here and you know this from hunting Georgia now, but you don't go set in a tree and see three or four mature deer in a set. <laughs> you might see one or two a year. Right. You know, season. <laughs> right so you right. gotta put yourself in that in that uh position to run into one i guess you could say more than anything right right what is that what does that sign that you're looking for you know look like you mentioned being in the midwest finding those pinch points finding those you know big community scrapes that kind of thing it's a little i mean i I just find even even that like fewer community scrapes here (laughs) in in the south than i see up in the midwest i see you know the the pinch points are way less defined typically unless you can find unless you're around water like like you're doing <laughs> you, that that water tends to do a pretty good job but even so I, I've seen too many deer down here that are just chest deep in water walking you know yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to really rely on that too much so what it, what does the sign difference look like or maybe your setups look like that's different than what you do when you travel well like like he said we hunted I just key in and only now because I've looked at what deer I've killed over hunting here 45 years. I'm 56. I killed my first deer when I was eight. Most all of them come from Christmas on. Yeah. So, I, so I don't pay a lot of attention here. That's why That's why I guess I got into traveling, because I can go where it's good there. But if you're going to, for looking sign for here, I like finding a big rub. I like finding, you know, I guess I learned this from hunting out west. You find a deer with a big set of horns, when he rubs a tree, there's a lot of characteristics to that rub. You can look at it and tell he's got a big set of horns. You know, if he's got long times, he's he's hitting that thing on the pyre. If there's a little sapling or something, say six inches behind this sapling, he's rubbing, and he's he's hitting it pretty good. He's got good beams on him. Oh, uh, you know, there's one thing to learn of that. I love finding a licking branch that's about as big as you know your thumb or a little bigger, and he's just twisted that thing all to pieces mm-hmm. in the south. Now you find that in the Midwest all the time, right? Yeah. But right. In the south, you don't find that. Right. When you find that in the south, you know, especially the bigger it is. And it's all twisted up. You know he's got points with some length on it where he can get it between them points and he can sit there and twist on that thing. Or he yeah, multiple points. Yeah, he got multiple points. So Ten point or something like that. And another thing we really pay a lot of attention to is find that scrape and there's a big old track in that sucker. Yeah, you, know, you see a lot of that at West. You know, them 250, 300 pound deer make a big old track. But our <laughs> 200 or 175 pound deer will make a lot bigger track than 100. Yeah, doe up there and make a bigger track than a big buck wheel down here. <laughs> that's the truth, man. That when you, I feel like that's one thing that guys need to be prepared for. So if you're listening to this and you're in the South and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go up to the Midwest this year. Like just ready yourself to think about sign differently. Tracks are yeah. different. Trails are different. You know, an extra 100, 125 pounds on an animal <sighs> Just leave, they just leave so much more sign moving through. You think about the, you know, you talk about cattle and that kind of thing. Because they're so big, they just leave huge tracks and, you know, mm-hmm. their trails will look mowed down. If, if a deer is double the size, he's going to leave a lot bigger tracks. He's going to leave a lot better of a trail. Um, rubs and scrapes are going to look totally different. And there's just more of them. Like it just, and I think it has to do with the density of the mature buck population. There's just a lot more scrapes. There's a lot more rubs. Be ready to filter through some stuff. Be ready well, to be ready to keep walking. When you find something that at home you would have stopped at, be ready to keep walking for a little bit and, that's right. and weigh it a little bit differently. So uh, I want to hear something. You guys, you know, talking about rut hunters, uh, when it comes to the amount of time you're going to give a spot, whether that's at home, whether that's away, you know, how much time are you giving a specific location before you're kind of wiping your hands of it saying, ah, it ain't going to happen here, I'm moving on? Well, and it depends on the area, too, and what I've seen, what I know is in there. Um, most of the time, if I'm not seeing nothing, more than, say, two days, 
at the most. You know, if I'm not seeing what I feel like is in there, I'm moving off. I'm doing something different, changing something up. Um, which you've had situations where you was in a spot. How many days did you hunt that one spot? Which one? Five, Iowa. Iowa. Five days? Yeah, but I, I knew a big deer was in there. You That's, knew what was there. Yeah, I knew right. it was a big deer that I've ever seen, and I knew it was in there. But that's one thing I'd say, too. Day after day changes up. You may hunt a place one day, not see nothing. The weather or something changed just a little bit, and the next day, it's just like, man, the woods just start crawling, and deer come from everywhere, and you're like, yeah. man, where'd they come? So it, it can change, but in generally, how I like to do when I travel seem like we have our best luck the first or second day. Yeah. Mm. So we, we don't hunt it. We may move, but we won't hunt the same. I won't hardly hunt the same tree unless I've seen a big deer yeah. and seen him do something. I usually try going in. I love going into a spot, hanging at lunch, leaving all my gear because we self-filming. It, when you climb, I like to be at the spot I like to be. Uh, I leave my stuff at night when I get down. I get back in there at daylight and I crawl back up the tree. If I don't see much, I get my stuff down to lunch, and I find another spot. I, I like sort of doing that off. Now, home, like I said, man, I know this place like the back of my hand. That's why I say these guys, we're talking about public land, they don't like folks coming in. I, I basically I welcome folks to come in. I like, if you can kick my tail on my home turf, hey, more power to you. Because, <laughs> uh, like I said, I know this place. I, I know what <laughs> I know what's happening. And, and when deer move, uh, you know, I just know it. Uh, right, right. So when it – when it comes to the rut, then you know what are what are some of the maybe more fine details that that differ north to south. You know, when it, I, I feel like the just the demeanor of the deer and everything's kind of different. So, what are some of the bigger, I guess, demeanor differences or movement differences or tendency differences that you're seeing in southern bucks as compared to to elsewhere? Well, one thing ours is definitely different here in our local area. They run dogs. Yeah. Mm. When you when you run start dogs that six weeks before the rut ever starts, you can tell it messes them up on that move pattern. Right. When you go out west, midwest, north, you can pretty much play that moon and stuff. Especially the further north you get the cold weather, they're going to move early and they're going to move late. That's just... And the south, that's not. It yeah. seems like you get in areas where they run the dogs a lot, you do a lot better than the evening. But most time, them guys don't turn out dogs hour or two before dark. So they won't pick, dog. Yeah, picking dogs up. Yeah. Or two for a dog. <laughs> and you learn that sort of pattern around it. Bucks, you start seeing them. They, they've learned that. They know they can, they can get out and roam a little more right at dark and not nothing get on their tail and chase them. Right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, that's just sort of things I've learned here. Uh, they, they don't, you, they're harder to pattern in the south in our area than other places. Right. Yeah. I, I think one thing that, so we grew up, or I grew up in an area where we they ran dogs all the time, and we were in clubs for a while that ran dogs. And uh, one of my favorite things to do. So, guys, if you're listening to this and you're in the South, and they run dogs around you and it frustrates you and you're getting sick of it, don't be afraid to go into those areas that a pack of dogs just ran right through earlier that day, and go sit there that evening. Just go see what happens. Because I, I don't know I don't know if it's the bucks got up and ran off or they looped around or I don't know what happened, but it always seemed like those areas we drove that day, I'd go set a food plot in that same area that afternoon, the deer hit the food plot earlier. I don't know if they were just still up or like you said, maybe just things quiet down and they're like, Ooh, all right, glad glad that's over with. You know, we can we can finally get up and get out there. But it, it just seems like there's I don't know, that disturbance while, you know, not necessarily good for folks that want to climb up in a tree during the day, um, but you hit that evening, I feel like you can have a lot of success, even if they ran dogs through there earlier. Yeah, and a lot of times a big deer, you might step on him to get him up. If dogs come through there, a lot of times it don't affect him. Right. Uh, you know, and in early season, they've killed very few big deer with dogs around here because they jump him. If they don't kill him right when they jump him, he's going to throw them off on does, and he's just, you know, he's going to run a doe and then jump out of the track, and, and they own that doe. Uh, but what, I started out dog hunting. When I was young, that's how I started was running dogs. And I learned, get in there where they turn the dogs out. They'll jump a deer and the dogs leave. Man, a lot of times a good buck comes slipping back out and go the other way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, And like you said, if a pack of dogs come through there, don't think it's running. I've seen the same way of hunting public land. A guy come walking through there and go by. Ten minutes, there come a buck comes right across his track. Mm-hmm. 
Is it just because somebody walks through there? You know, a lot of folks that's never hunted public land a bunch, I got a buddy that can't stand somebody come walking by him. I'm like, they ain't hurt the woods. That's natural. Yeah. Folks are walking in the wood public land all the time. Them deer, a lot of times, are backtracking going the opposite way of them. Oh, and a lot of times they may bump him. He never see the deer. He comes slipping back out like them dogs slipping back out behind him going another way. Yeah. Right. So you know, so don't 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 get mad because somebody comes walking by. Oh, uh, yeah. You use, might, the, use the use your advantage. Yeah, man. You might be uh, you might be sharing a little too much there. I. <laughs> I have started using, especially in places where I travel, but pressure in my favor. It, man, if I can find a place where there's some duck hunters or some pheasant hunters, yeah. I know I know I'm gonna do I'm gonna do all right because it seems like in those areas, if I can find good sign close to an area where there's a lot of pheasant hunting pressure, I can get away with a lot in there. Now, if I go back in that same public area and I go a mile back. And I start hunting back there, you know, a mile in. I can't get away with anything because they're like, hey, you ain't supposed to be back here. Hold on. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be back here. But you get in some of those areas that are maybe overlooked. Maybe it's the, you know, the road or trail on the way into the duck hole way back in the middle. Well, don't be afraid to set up not too far off that trail because they're used to that human scent coming through there. And you can play yeah. that pressure to your advantage. One thing I look for, I give a little secret up. I like hunting around state parks or something that you can't hunt, that people in there all the time. Mm-hmm. Them deer not near as spooked. You know, hunt them boundaries. Because they're used to human sin all the time that's not bothering them. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good yeah, tip. I've, yeah. I've killed some big deer off of places. That's one other thing I look for is an area you can't hunt next to some public you can hunt that's hard to get to. Uh, with A lot of times it's, it'll be a state park or folks hiking in there or in there all the time. <clears throat> them deer know that safe area. Yep. But but a lot of time you got to hunt it during the rut to ever get them off of it. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they they know they're safe on there, but when that doe leads them off, a lot of times they'll follow her right off of there. Yep. That's right. Well, guys, oh. I I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to talk about one more topic. That is the moon. Uh, like we have alluded to, there's a lot of debate around whether or not you know the studies are accurate, whether or not hunter observations are accurate. Blah blah blah. Um, what I feel like I've seen when it comes to movement around the moon periods if it's rising in the evening somewhere around four o'clock four thirty, that's usually a good evening for me or if it's the next morning it's still going down at you know seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning once i'm in there if i can still see the moon i feel like i see a lot of movement on those mornings when y'all talk about the move the moon and and how it impacts deer movement what does that look like for y'all what are y'all seeing well, you just basically said what we that was, that was that was a minor minor is when it's ray, rising and when it's setting. Okay, when it major, right. major major is when it's straight up over your head and it's straight under feet. Okay, gotcha. major generally is a little longer they move than the minor. You know the time that they're going to move. You know, the major is usually three to four hours. Yeah, the minor is usually one, one, one yeah one to one and a half two, and it's not exact science, but I'm just telling you when you get to that. Like I said, them three to line up, the rut, the weather, the front comes through. Like we saw about that day of the front or the two days after the front. We pay a lot of attention to that the moon. Another thing, like when we go scout, you ask what we do when we get there. I look at it a lot, what's the move time? Mm. If I get there and it's, we're not in a major or minor, I'm going to do all my scout. But I'm going to find me a place that evening. So like you're talking about, that moon in the evening, you see it just fin to set. I know it's a minor. I'm going to be up a tree for that little bit. So, I, so I, I prioritize my time. I do it at home here a lot, too. Say if i got some chores I need to do. And I look, and that major is going to be from 3 to 5 o'clock this evening. Well, I'm going to go do my stuff this morning that I need to do, go feed the cows, whatever. I'm going to hunt that evening. It's not exact science, but I'm, I'm like, a, I guess, a bookie. I play the odds. Yeah. It puts the odds <laughs> in my favor by, by, by hunting that. Right. I've I done, I done a video in my house right here. You'll make a little watch. You kill more bucks in the morning, evening, or midday. And I basically went around and basically sick. I can remember every horn I got in here, and I basically I killed this in the morning. I killed this in the evening. I kept up with it. At the end of the video, the morning and the evening was almost half and half. Hmm. But I got thinking, why with some years I kill more in the evenings, some years I kill more in the morning? And I basically sort of said in my follow-up video, I think it's how the moon falls during that rut that year. Right. If it falls, if the moon full moon falls on the front side of that, you know, generally, you know, like we always say around here, Christmas, New Year's, or right after New Year's is generally the rut. But just say if the full moon falls the December the fifteenth, ten days before is where it really starts. Seems like that affects it more than if the full moon falls 
say, the 5th of January. Because I think it, I think the does come in the same time every year, but that move activity puts them in their daytime, that moon affects them. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's good stuff, man. Listen, I've, I've kept you guys long enough. We're right at an hour at this point. This has been fantastic. Really appreciate your time. Where can folks go if they want to follow along with your season, keep up with what all you guys are doing? Yeah, you can check us out on Do It Yourself Hunter YouTube channel. Um, we got Facebook, Do It Yourself Hunter Facebook page. We got a page and a group. You can join the group and post some of your stories. We, yep. we want to get it towards the Do It Yourself Hunter community because we're just like y'all. We're just like the average guy that hunts. Right. Uh, you know, if you go out of state or if you kill a big deer, hey, tell how you kill it and, and the why. If, yep. if there's a reason you think I, I figured this out, because share your knowledge, you know, because that's, that's what I love about this show is, it's it's all shared knowledge. Yep. You know, it's 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 not be, this is my place. Yep. You know, it, man, it's a hunt. Everybody, you know, we run into some guys this summer that's that, that basically think a lot like us, and they're like, there's a lot of folks that don't have the opportunity we had when we was growing up. Mm-hmm. That would love mm-hmm. to do this. Oh, you know, it's just so passive on. No, that's good stuff, man. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Everybody go check out Do It Yourself Hunter online, on Facebook, wherever you can find it. The videos are incredible. These guys know how to get it done, so uh, I think you'll learn a thing or two. But uh, until next time, fellas, we'll uh, we'll see you around. Yep, see you. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that. Until next week, let's keep doing things the Southern way.